Hey, you like writing? Have you ever wanted to write a best-selling book? How about 76 best-selling books? One for each trombone. James Patterson's done it. Now he's teaching people his process in his class at masterclass.com. Learn his prolific ways through 22 video lessons in a 40-page workbook. From idea to outlining to marketing your book, learn more at masterclass.com slash nerdist. We also find world-class instruction from the likes of Dustin Hoffman, Serena Williams, and Annie Leibovitz. Uh, I've seen the Dustin Hoffman one, and it's really cool. And I'm not an actor, but it's absolutely fascinating. I'm going to check out the James Patterson one, too. That's masterclass.com slash nerdist. Check it out. Now entering nerdist.com. Last live writer's panel of the year, writer pals, and it's in my hometown of Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, on November 14th, I'll be talking with Joe Hill at Brookline Booksmith. Uh, we rescheduled this from September. I'm so excited to sit down with Joe. He's a great writer, a great guy. Uh, that should be a lot of fun. And, of course, it benefits 826 Boston. So come on out to that. Find details at writerspanel.tumblr.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blecker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. Go ahead. Hey! <laughs> Put on your radio voice. <laughs> my name is uh, Sievert Glarum, uh, and this is my partner, Michael. He'll say hi in a second. I'm Sievert Glarum. He's uh, Michael. Uh, it's very annoying. <laughs> Starting from the top. <laughs> All right, I'm Michael Jamin, and the other, other guy's Sievert. Yeah. Um, you guys, tell me what you are working on right now, and then we'll go back and fill in your history. I don't like to do a straight biography that gets boring, so I think we'll kind of jump around, but... Uh, do tell me what you're working on now where people have seen your name recently. Okay, well, we're the uh, executive producers of a show called Marin on IFC, although most people, I think, see it on Netflix. Yeah, but we're, yeah. it doesn't answer your question now, where people are seeing our name, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, you know, the Mark Marin show on IFC, yeah. it's a lot of fun. Uh, were you, you guys were there from the beginning, yes. right? Uh, did you help develop the show? No. Okay. No, initially it was, like a, I think, like a 10 to 15-minute presentation that uh, the Apostle uh, production <laughs> company shot, and then they took that and shopped it around, and IFC bought it. When I, IFC picked up for 10 episodes, they went out and uh, looked for showrunners, and that's when oh, we came on board. Right, so Duncan, Bur Duncan Birmingham and Mark Marin developed it together. Okay, and what had you guys been doing just previous that, that kind of made you the right ones to do this? Um, well, I don't <laughs> no, think we were the right ones to do this. We yeah. were just on Brickleberry, right. and before that, Wilfred... Um, so probably Wilfred because that was FX. We met with Mark at a cafe one morning. You know, excuse me, with right, showrunners, and uh, he said, "You guys think you can run a show about a down and out, depressed, you know, a, a bitter comedian?" I'm like, yeah, I, I think we can, we can pull that off. Uh, <laughs> we we may be your guys. Yeah, you know. So we were always, so we were fortunate that we were in that list, and uh, and then we met with the studio. We found out what the budget was and the time frame. And I remember, you know, they're like, yeah, we've got 10 weeks of pre-production and uh, the budget's tiny and there won't be really any staff. Uh, can you do this? And I, we wanted the job. And I remember saying, of course we can. And in my mind, I was absolutely thinking, no, no, no way. How can you possibly make a show? That's the thing I'm always curious about on these IFC shows. You know, like... I've talked to Ackerman a little bit, and, and we're friends, but it seems like, like he has what he has. Like, he has a set and doesn't do a lot more than that, so he can kind of fill in from there. It makes sense on the kinds of budgets they right. work on, but, like, they don't give you a lot of money or resources to make a show. But on the, on the other hand, they stay out of your way. They really mm -hmm. make it, they don't know, we've worked on network shows where there'd be more executives giving notes than there were writers. So these guys that I've seen, they're wonderful, they're like, you yeah. know, Here's three suggestions. Take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. If they make the show better, take it. If not, don't worry about it. And we're going to get out of your way. Mm -hmm. And, and they're starting you. to develop some cool shows. Like, I really... Sure. I, I, Comedy Bang Bang I like a lot. And um, Documentary Now, I mm -hmm. think, is just terrific. So it's, it's a cool place to be right now. Oh, they absolutely have an yeah. eye for talent and voice. And, like, they, they know comedy. But, I don't know, it just seems so difficult to make anything ambitious on... With the resources you're, you're given. You know, yeah. I, like, I watch, you know, I, I'm late to the game, but I watch Breaking Bad. <clears throat> and 
they had so many beautiful shots. You go, oh my God, this shot took half, half a day to set up. It's a beautiful shot. And so, you know, it's, it's wonderful, but it doesn't make, in my opinion, it doesn't, that's not why I watch Breaking Bad. I watch it for the storylines. Right. I don't really care about those shots. So we don't have any of those shots. And sometimes the coverage is like, yeah, we have better coverage, but it doesn't affect the storytelling. But, you know, we worked, we've worked on, you know, big network shows, like on NBC, and you never have enough money, no matter what it is. It's yeah. still like they're like, uh, the line producers like, can you have zero extras in the restaurant? <laughs> so, I, you know, I don't know where all the money goes, but yeah. it's, writers are always in this position. So it's, you know, to be expected. And Marin mm-hmm. is a good-looking show. Well, that's Joe I mean, Kessler. Joe it Kessler looks great. Movie, yeah. Um, did he come on after you? Did you guys help bring, you know, director and, and all that kind of stuff on? Uh, I don't know if Joe did the presentation or not. Um, I don't know how he came came on board, but you know, it was no matter what, it was a shot in the dark, and he's just been terrific. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there a room? Yeah, no, okay. it's a, yeah. not now like this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how did it start out? That <laughs> first season was it? Just the beginning a was me. It means were the ones with like many real amount of uh, writing experience, and Duncan and Birmingham who helped create the show with Mark, and, and we didn't know and Mark, and Mark, right? But Mark had no TV writing experience, um, but it turns out. Well, everyone was great. Everyone was great. And then we brought in a couple more guys. Um, yeah, it's worked out really well. So is it, how many of you are in the room now? Now we have six guys, five entities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we do 13 episodes. Basically, everybody writes three episodes. Mark does one. Mark directs a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about, if you would, that first season and sort of figuring out how to tell Mark's story with Mark. Right. But still have a show of your own. Right. Uh, we first episode, first year we did 10 episodes. And um, I vaguely knew of Mark. I don't know if Michael did. I didn't know what podcasts were, but I knew who Mark was from Air America. That's funny. And, uh, uh, you know, he's, this show is very autobiographical. And it was, so to get a, a grip on that, uh, I listened to all his albums mm-hmm. and tried to pick out bits that I thought would make great stories yeah. and listening I don't know if it was one or two albums but he had a couple of bits one was called Spike Baby where he, he it's this imaginary conversation between him and his ex-wife and he when she finds out she's pregnant and he's like you're having a baby at me and I just love that and so that I kind of thought after listening to him would be a good first episode and then he had a, a track on a, an album called Mexican Angel which was this fight he had with his uh, girlfriend and it's the first time he said um, I love you to his girlfriend I believe and in this fight yes I believe yeah, and it just that's the most of, Marin thing I've ever heard yeah. yeah and so I was like well that could be a good finale because that and you know that would be kicking off his relationship with his his then girlfriend mm. um, so and then I think there were a couple of other things Mark had a couple of other ideas that he wanted to do that made it very easy to plot out this yeah. Year. And do, so it was building episodes around those yeah, stories. Yeah, finding those stories that are, you know, two or three minutes long and turning them into 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. knowing the freedom that you had with IFC, I mean, you, like you said, you guys have worked in network, you've worked in cable, right. you've worked in animation, you've worked in live action. Did you, did you feel that freedom in, like, the storytelling mode? Did it feel like you had to hit... Commercial breaks and things like that. We That's just like to hit commercial yeah. breaks. Yeah. No, I guess um, so. There's a natural way to tell that yeah, story. Yeah, we felt, you know, it's a natural three-act way to tell a story. Um, so we were, you know, as opposed to, say, Louis, who we're always compared right. to. Um, we didn't, uh, we knew we had the freedom to do whatever we wanted, like not tell linear stories or, or whatnot, but we just like telling stories. So, you know, there's a couple of episodes or maybe we're a little looser, but mm-hmm. with the, the story breaking process, but that you know that was definitely us. Sometimes we'd also get a note from the studio or the network and say, "Well, we really think this beat should go like this," and we'd say, "No, this is how it happened in real life." Oh, interesting. Yeah, and so that was like, okay. You know. Where do you remember specific instances of that? <sighs> I'd have to think. Uh, you'd have to probably turn off this podcast for about twenty minutes while I think of something. Uh, <laughs> I can't. I'll turn off this podcast right now. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure there. I'm sure of it, but I, I can't think of it. Well, you know, a lot of it is, uh, um, say, in network television, uh, and oh. that's why nobody watches it anymore. They'll say, oh, this isn't sympathetic, we won't like the mm-hmm. character if he did that. 
And so you're always noted to death, and it kind of makes everything kind of bland. And that's sort of when reality TV took over, because their characters could do whatever they wanted because they were real people. Um, In quotation marks. Yeah. Yeah. And and so at cable, you definitely have the more freedom to have the characters do unlikable things, Mm -hmm. as long as it makes sense for those characters. But there's still... I don't care if you're in cable or network, there's still that instinct that, no, he shouldn't do that, you know, because we won't like him as much. Like, it's just... So, um, you're fighting against that expectation, and maybe it's more interesting to do it the real way, Mm -hmm. um, you know, which is somewhat darker. Did... Does your innate sense of humor, whatever you guys have together... Mm -hmm. uh, does that mesh easily with what you came into, with what was already uh, developed on Marin? It's, you know, I think if we were to have our way, um, you know, we, we tend to put more hard jokes in, and, mm-hmm. and Mark actually wants to be very real. So mm-hmm. we wind up pulling more jokes out, than, uh, and, I, and I think it works well, actually. I think, um, yeah, so just to Mark's credit. Yeah, we've done things that are um, many different styles we've done. You know, multicam, we've done animation, we've done single cam. Uh, so I don't know if we have a, you know, quote unquote style. I think we're very, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, malleable. Horish, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want. Listen, we, my partner and I get this all the time mm-hmm. that we'll say, like, we're happy to execute, we'll find the thing that we like in it. Right. But that's a hard thing to sell yourself as. Right. Right? Well, I think actually when you're a staff writer, I think that's actually very important. Your job is to please the showrunner. Your job is not to make the best show possible. It's not to make the best show that you think. It is. Your job is to make the show the showrunner wants to make. So if they want it jokey, make it jokey. If they want it straight, do straight. Yeah. So I don't really think it's incumbent on you as a writer to have to figure that out until you're actually running. running your own well, show. also, like when we were starting out, um, when there were a ton of shows on the air, um, kind of the... You know, common sense wisdom was you didn't want to stay on the show too long because you really? get the tag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he can only do mad about you type oh, jokes. Sure. So we were at Just Shoot Me, which is basic. You know, your meat and potatoes uh, multicam, and then after four years, we jumped to King of the Hill, which was a completely hmm. different style. Yeah, and that was a you know, in retrospect, that was a really really great move for our career, um, just to just learn different styles. Absolutely, yeah. but. Um, I mean, now, if you're on a show that's going, you hold on. <laughs> right. You're off. lucky to have a show that lasts more yeah. than a year. You but, stay on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the people who we worked at Just Shoot Me, they are like, oh, isn't mad about you for a couple of years, and I get bored, so I go to Frasier, then I'd hop onto this show, then I'd hop onto that show. Um, yeah, that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> You'd be nuts to do that. It's interesting. I've, I've had uh, Levitan and Greg Daniels both on the show, right. and we've talked about the different sort of modes of comedy and modes of running a room you know, for you guys to kind of come up in those very different styles of room and mm-hmm. styles of show must have really informed how you guys run a show. Well, it's funny. Every show you work on, they think that's the hardest show to write <laughs> and the best show. <laughs> so we, when we were, when we came to King of the Hill, people would say, oh, just shoot me. That's an easy show to write. It's just snaps, right? Just put down. Snaps. And we're like, nah, not really. And then we'd have our old just shoot me friends would say, King of the Hill, that's an easy show to write because there's no jokes. Like, oh, so, plenty of jokes. <laughs> they might not be funny, but they're there. <laughs> but, you know, I'll say, yeah, for, we've worked for, for Steve, and, uh, Steve Lefthand and, and Chris Lloyd as well, and also Greg Daniels. I, mean, I think we're lucky to have, we've learned from three of the best, you know, comedy yeah. writers in, in Hollywood, so we've picked up a lot. And all very different types of yeah. comedy writers, it yeah. seems like. I mean, just talking to Steve, it feels like there's always this sort of emotional through line and Chris seems to mm. love a punchline uh, and Greg seems averse to a punchline right yeah, yeah. <laughs> Greg has a lot of rules actually he has a, he, he'll yeah. Yeah. I would love yeah. to hear what do you guys remember of these rules and hmm. but really what have you taken with you to well, your own is definitely this happens on um, multicams and uh, but Greg was against it it was called the universe conspiring that's a good rule <laughs> the, it was the universe conspiring to be funny so, a character A would say something and would get shot down, and then character B would walk into the scene and then say the exact same words, <laughs> and there's no rational way they could know how to do that. 
So the universe was conspiring to make the joke work. Right. <laughs> so that's what great, and that's a good. That's that's a very good rule. We don't. We try to adhere to that. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, we've been on shows after that where you know we've done that, and you know, sometimes it's it feels a little cheap, but it can be funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what the hello joke is from Laverne and Shirley. Hello. Absolutely. That's the universe conspiring. Right. The hello Laverne. Yeah. Right. Which I feel like is a joke that is sadly going away. Well, multi-cams are... Hey, it'll, sure. always, it'll always live on in the Disney Channel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That is true. I mean, there's a difference between... It's another... It comes down to right, who are you trying to make laugh? Is it the 200 people in the audience on that mm-hmm. given day? Or are you trying to make... Uh, used to be millions, now thousands of people at <laughs> home laugh. Um, and if you're trying to make those 200 people laugh, the hello joke works every time. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Um, let's, let's go back. I do want to hear about some of these early uh, sure. experiences, but... How did you guys start working together? Uh, and, and I'm more curious about how, how you do work together. What is the process like? Uh, well, we, we met years ago. Uh, uh, see, I was signed as a baby writer to this agent. In, you know, she's actually a big agent at the time, and she's not working anymore. And, uh, and I remember, uh, you know, she blew out smoke up my ass. She said, I'm going to make you, you're going to be running your own show in five years. And I remember thinking, I remember I was thinking, oh my God, I might, I, I I hope not. I couldn't possibly. <laughs> but I, she blew out a smoke, and I, when I sobered up a couple of days later, I was like, I, you know, I wonder what happened to the baby writer that she anointed to be running Hollywood in five years. What, what happened to last year's baby writer? Because every year she signed him. So she gives me this name to this guy, and I call him up. I was like, what? And I'm like, basically, what show are you running now? <laughs> and he goes, I'm working at a record store, dude. And that was super. <laughs> so That's he had been anointed as well. So <laughs> we kind of teamed up. Uh, feeling, you know, uh, why compete against each other for the same one job? Um, and then she promptly dropped us after that. <laughs> <laughs> you crossed her. By teaming up, you crossed her. No, it was her <laughs> suggestion. No, she was just lazy. Oh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, um, for each of you, did she sign you off? And this is presumably your first agent, your yeah. first experience. Did she sign you off of a spec script? I, yeah, I had written a spec, and then Siebert, of course, had written a couple, and, uh, and then we wrote, we wound up writing a bunch of specs together. The first one, she didn't think, I guess she didn't think they were, they could get us work, they're any good. So we kept, I think we met every day, we probably wrote seven or eight specs together. Oh, just wow. constantly, we met every day yeah. after work, sometimes during work, cranking out specs. Was and it specs of existing shows? Yeah, as well all, as at the time, that's yeah. what people did. People don't really make new shows, you know. So, um, and that first script that we wrote together was, I think it was the first, it was Friends, as a friend's pack, and that was the script. She dropped us after that, but that was the script that wound up getting us a job at uh, Just Shoot Me. Oh, so, how it, it was a good script. <laughs> it was good enough. So, uh, what were some of the other specs? Do you remember? Dream On. I think Dream On was oh, the wow. first. Then we, I think it? we did. Um, How do you write a Dream On spec? Uh, just like <laughs> oh, you make tough. up the clips, but you make yeah, up right. clips that you think right. that could exist. Yeah. You know, and so Frasier we did. Up. Sure, we did Frasier. We were in the Warner Brothers uh, sitcom writing program. We wrote a Sybil. Um, we wrote a Northern Exposure. Yeah, Northern Exposure. Oh, wow. One hour. How uh, can you tell me a little bit about the Warner Brothers program? Okay, it would Talk meet every people. Wednesday night and. Every Wednesday night, it met. It rained, <laughs> and it was a. I'm sure it's omen. <laughs> yeah, it was, not, it was not good. It was not a good experience. It was a whole. I, it came out of that class knowing less about writing, having really? my confidence shaken. Yeah, yeah. It Why? was. It was a fucking disaster. <laughs> what? This and, is the first time I've ever heard this. Oh, yeah. oh and the, it, we, you pay five hundred dollars, you get a T-shirt, you get some advice from executives. And they try to fuck us out of taking a just shoot me but, but job off. It's actually worse than that. It's, you're, it's the only thing. Only in Hollywood do you sign an exclusive contract that you pay to be in. So we paid. I think. I think it was five hundred each. To get paid sixty percent of union minimum. If, if you get you, a job, yes. If you oh, get a job, right. then you're making a third of scale or whatever it was to be locked in one of their shows. So it's like it's a ridiculous contract. And very early on in the program, they you get a sense of who's anointed and mm-hmm. who's like you know those forty kids in it you know oh, really well first what happens is you hear there's just this, this number that people with a percentage of people who get work right and the percentage was, and at the time Warner Brothers controlled 25% of the sitcoms on TV there were a ton mm-hmm. of sitcoms you know they owned 
TGIF. This was they, Family Matters. Yeah, but Step still, Step. but there were decent shows too, and it was twenty five. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't <laughs> see that. This was just a, I was just listening to shows. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, but yes, that was the lens. So you always hear about sixty percent. Sixty percent of people from the program get jobs. So you're sixty percent, you're looking around, and you go, I'm easily in the top sixty percent, and then um, you would go out. They would always advocate. There was this one older guy who had been working there for years, um, and it was a script reader for an agency, and now he worked for Warner Brothers. And they were always pushing uh, the guys who ran the program for us to take this guy out drinking to a bar every Wednesday night. And there'd always be some brown nose who would lead the expedition to the bar. Like most people were kind of laid back and. Um, you know, antisocial like writers should be. But there's be some brown nose or go to organize events and, and go to the bar. And so we'd go to the bar and um, with this older guy who was the script um, reader. And they, so everyone's like, 60%, huh? And they can go on to get jobs. And then he was drunk and he goes, every year it's either one or two. And that's it. One or two writers from the whole program. And at that point, all the camaraderie that had developed between the writers just completely evaporated. And everybody was just looking at each other, you know, um, accusingly. And, you know, it was just, oh it was just a horrible experience. But we wound up making a couple good friends and working with a couple guys mm-hmm. on, on it that we made friends with some. Right, but not, not people who got jobs through the program. People who just wound up getting jobs yeah, later. Sure. Yeah. yeah. When does that what happened to you guys? Yeah. Well, we... It's worse. Oh, yeah, we... Uh, so we were doing the program, and at the time we picked to, to spec, we had just finished a, a friend spec. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, so went to the program, we decided to... Um, Sybil seemed like a hot show, so we decided to spec a Sybil. And we just came up with sh- shitty ideas, and we couldn't break a good story for Sybil. And it was just so... You pick one script, and then you write it through the whole program. So we were just right. fucking dead men walking the whole time. Did and they, let me, I mean, I, I apologize, sure. but I'm going to interrupt you a lot because right. I want to dig a little deep on some of this stuff, but did they treat it like a writer's room where everybody... No, I mean, I don't time? know. It's, it, how it worked is there would be 25, 30 people in a room, and then it would be uh, three hours every Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. So the first 90 minutes, you'd have somebody speak, a sitcom mm-hmm. writer, um, and then the, ne- the next 90 minutes was executives where you really do the work. So the sitcom writer would come and tell war stories. And after that 90 minutes was up, everybody in the crowd would bum rush the sitcom writer to brown nose him right. to, in a vain effort to get on staff. Let me give you an example of what this guy So we had, I don't remember the guy's name, and I don't want to remember his name, I don't want to insult right. him. But he showed a clip from one of the Warner Brothers shows he was working on, and to the, to the whole class. And it was a three minute clip of the scene of some shitty show. And afterwards he goes, how many drugs are in that scene? And I'm thinking... None. Why not? Right? <laughs> it was, like, was laughless, right? None. Right. And he goes, you know, 38. <laughs> and then he, he proceeded to point no. out each, each joke and why it was technically counted as a joke. Uh, you know, this was specific. This, this yeah. is animal related. Rule, rule of three. This, this is, is alliteration. A, a body function. <laughs> and everything. I can do this. And, I can he, and he goes, <laughs> and what he said, yes, which was, was great. He said, they might not be funny, but they can as jokes on the page. Oh, yeah. went, hallelujah. <laughs> but, but so that's kind of what it was a little bit. Let's, that was some of the instructions. Some of it was better. Some, some of the sure. you know, tips were better and some were worse. But that's nuts. And then you would get notes from production executives who go, you never want to see, do a scene where your character gets water thrown on him because that's double wardrobe. Yeah, that's a good tip. And the yeah. showrunner reads a script where someone gets water poured on him. He'll know that's double wardrobe and he'll think you're an amateur. Yeah. Oh, Meanwhile, God. we've never, ever, ever <laughs> run into that problem. Right, exactly. How yeah. often does that really come up? But, uh, yeah, so, and then at the end of the program, so they didn't staff, they didn't want to put us on anything. We would have taken any of the shitty shows. Sure, of course. Uh, they didn't want to put us on anything. So, all right, so we're, now we're dead. It just so happened that same season, you know, we got an offer from Just Shoot Me to be. Yeah, and it was the script we wrote right before the program. The one that our agent dropped us on. Right. <laughs> the one that was no good. So, it, wait, did you have an agent at this time? Yes. Oh, okay. my God. We had written Lois and Clark. We had... Oh, my yeah. gosh. So um, we had an agent. So we get this offer. So that's how you got the Just Shoot Me Yes, meeting. but then suddenly... And so we got an offer to Shoot Me right. from Steve Lefthand. And then suddenly the Warner Brothers... Inter- but they were, suddenly they're interested in us again. They want to put us on <laughs> their shitty shows. So we had to, like... And, and we had to but they were dragging their feet. They're like, well... 
you know, the guy from Family Matters, he's on vacation, he'll be back in three weeks. And then maybe he'll read your script. And then, at, 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 you know, Brillstein Gray, they're like, hey, we, you're dicking us around? What's going on? We want, and so we want There's them. an offer, right? Yeah, there's yeah. an offer. You guys are playing hardball. And so we would beg Warner Brothers, please just let us out. You, you thought we sucked. We suck. Let's just let it, you know, they would not let us out. And finally, when we went over to Warner Brothers with gifts. With presents in arms. And we brought gifts to all the executives. And I was ready to get on the ground and cry if I had to, yeah. to secure a release. Yeah. So that was That's that. nuts. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, other people have had better experiences, so. Sure. Oh, no, and, and I've heard, you know, we've heard on these panels the, the good side Really? Well. I, I, I got to listen to those. They may well, have they went to the program. Yeah, it's well. Um, so, so that you guys were baby writers on this show. You were like staff writers, right? Just shoot me. Did that have a huge room? Like that was sort of the end of first the year. Not, it grew yeah. over the years. The first year was Steve Levitan, Andy Gordon, and Eileen Kahn, Stephen Engel, mm-hmm. Marsh McCall, Tom Martin, and us. Yeah, we just read it briefly. Right. So it wasn't that big, but it was only six episodes. Yeah. And this was, I mean, the thing that, that we always say is, like, we have, having a partner is like having this mini writer's room. Yeah. Right. Uh, but actually being in the room becomes a whole other thing. There's an etiquette that you have to learn. <laughs> yeah. And even though if you know these things intellectually, as soon as you get into that room and sit down, you forget all the rules and you can really make an ass out of yourself. Did yeah. you guys make an asset? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> we seem to be more of an asset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me. I'm always curious about this stuff. Like, what were the what were the mistakes you think you made? How did you learn from those? Sure. And and what did you learn in those? Well, rooms? a very easy thing for a, pro- a problem staff writers you know, could fall into is everyone is the more experienced people are funny, they're confident, they're pitching jokes left and right, they're making everyone laugh, and you're a staff writer, and you feel small, and you can't jump in there, and you don't know how to do it. So you go, well, I can't be funny, and I can't really pitch great story twists, so maybe I'll be the logic guy. I'll be the guy who shits on everyone else's oh. ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. And I knew that was a rule. There's a rule called um, pitch, don't bitch. Mm-hmm. And I knew it intellectually, but I just couldn't help myself. And then when I opened oh, my no. mouth... I would just say these things, and I, you know, I said, "What? We already established her birthday was on April, and now this joke is." And I couldn't stop myself. <laughs> and then I remember early on, Steve Levitan took us into his office, and it, it kind of read us the riot act. And I already knew. Michael yeah. had no idea. Well, he could. But say, I already you knew. You guys are being a little negative out. and carrying. Uh-huh. I'm like, what? No, we're not. What are we talking? Really? Because so I didn't, didn't see it. I didn't realize I see what he was doing. Uh, but I was like, I totally did it. I get it. I'll never do it again. But I was so at sea. It was so overwhelming. I felt just in over way way over my head. Everyone was so smart and so quick with jokes, and I, I was like, "How am I going to do this?" And I remember I got some very good advice from Marsh McCall because I was like, "You know, I just pitching jokes. Like, how I can't do this. I need some time alone with my piece of paper, and maybe I can come up with one good one if you give me, you know, <laughs> right. a, couple, a couple hours." And then Marsh said, "If everyone's pitching on a joke one way, and you're you're as dumb as a blank or whatever, don't go down that road because." You're not going to beat five other people that road. Mm-hmm. Come up, come at it a totally different way, a wholly different setup line, punchline, and then maybe you got a shot. And I was like, and then the door is open for me. I was like, that's brilliant. That's exactly what you got to do. Yeah, that's so really that was the fun. best piece of joke writing advice I got. Absolutely. Um, was that was that the biggest challenge for you guys early on? Was that room stuff? Did the writing come easily? Did the like production schedule? You know, up, uh, you guys had written a ton of specs before, so presumably you were going through them pretty quickly. No, no, no. I, I, and as far as writing, I think you, it takes a, a bunch of scripts and going through the process a lot of times. You know, it's really important because mm-hmm. I think, especially with a multicam, you can get so lost in the weeds with writing jokes, sure. and you have to make sure that the, the story makes sense and the emotion, what the characters want, is first and foremost. And I think I'm sure if we read our uh, Specs or even first drafts of staff writers, we'd see that things get cluttered with jokes and you can't tell what character mm-hmm. wants. And yeah. then you can lose total track of the story. Um, yeah, that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. So that would be number one. And for anybody who's a staff writer out there, if they're breaking a story and you see some major holes <laughs> or major 
problems never ever point it out never let someone else unless you got a solution right yeah unless you have a solution you go ah and, and then you got, they got to downplay the problem you go ah this is probably not a problem but if it is we <laughs> we could do this that's uh, that's great advice that really is. But other than that, don't point it Because it feels like out. you're helping. No, you're not helping. But you're not helping. You're just being, you're doing the job. You're basically being a... You're becoming an executive. You're, you're executive. another boss. You're, 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 exactly. You're saying you're this, 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 this story does not pass my litmus test. Yeah. You have, now like, you have a staff writer you? telling the story, the showrunner, this isn't good enough. You need to go back and do it again. You need to fix it. Right. Shit, man. So... You get a boss? <laughs> um... Before we get too far away from it, do you remember, I'm sure you do, what your friend's spec was about? Yes. Yeah. We actually, it was a, uh, a strategy. Really? Um, yes, we had a strategy, which was to write um, something they would never do on the show and uh, something that was, um, would stand out from a, like a... Mm-hmm. Edgy. Edgy. Quote, unquote, edgy. Nothing's edgy anymore. And <laughs> it was based on, um, I think, Rachel... Mm-hmm. Or no, it was Monica. And we had this experience going... We met with some guy like Sean McGillicuddy once, you know, who was an executive at a network. I don't even... That's not his name, but something like that. It was Sean McGillicuddy. And we go in there, and there's a black guy sitting at Sean McGillicuddy's desk. So we're like, where's Sean McGillicuddy? And he's like, I'm Sean McGillicuddy. Because he's got the most Irish name. Right? So it's fair oh enough. Oh, my God. So we did that as a friend spec, which was Monica was dating a, a guy with an Irish name, and, uh, but the people hadn't met, her, met the guy yet, so they go into their apartment and they see, they see a black guy there taking things because they're going Jeez. on a trip, and so they, um, they pepper sprayed him. Right. And, um, and the guy didn't get a good look at them, so it became this whole thing, and it was Monica's unease at telling people that her, you know, boyfriend oh was God. black. Yeah. Um, and that <laughs> stuck out. That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah, um, but it was a total. It was a total um, uh, contrived strategy because we sure. had written so many specs, and people go, oh, yeah, "This could be an episode." But mm-hmm. yeah, nah, nah. you know, that so. was a hard line to walk. Went back when you're writing specs of existing shows. Right. Like, if you do too good a job, you're writing that show, and and it doesn't show. Right. Like, you're not showing off what you can do, but you're showing off what you can do. Right. Like, that's yeah. a hard thing. Yeah. Um, I assume as you guys are running your own shows, you'll look at original material uh, as well as yeah I mean I think that's most of what you see I don't think we've ever read a. I guess when we we ran an animated show called Glenn Martin DDS we did read specs for other shows but I prefer to read specs of existing shows that's just, it's just easier for me because you don't have to create I know who the characters are I know what they sound like I know if you're making them sound right or not mm-hmm. whereas if it's, an, if it's a new show then I have to it just requires more effort on my part sure but, you know. but that's the job too right is writing an existing show it's the show that your showrunner right. is making true yeah right that's exactly yeah. so you it don't, makes a lot of you don't, sense. No one's paying, you don't have to be good at creating characters you have to be good at mimicking you know yeah. characters so uh, and yeah. a lot of times that's why a lot of times especially at the higher levels I, mean, I guess this couldn't apply to staff writers but personal recommendations mm-hmm. are so important because a lot of times you can't even t- like. Uh, there's tons of people out there who wouldn't written that one great script, and can't replicate it. So it, it's it's so it's like Russian roulette. But if if you hire a guy that everyone likes and everyone says is a good writer, and then you know that's actually a much better indicator if the person will work out or not. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what what is important to you guys when you're staffing up a show? What do you what do you look for? I want to know if they can basically if they can write and turn in a good draft. That's all okay. that, care, that I care about. Mm-hmm. Really, can they turn in a good draft? And what does that what does that mean to you? That the story you can follow the story, even if it needs to be punched up, I totally find something you can do in the room. But can you follow the story? Or does it have to be rebroken? And is there a good? You know, are you are you fully tapping into the emotions Emotion. of the story? Yeah, yeah. because um, that's the stuff that is hard and icky to write in a group process yes. jokes are fun and if you have to if someone writes a, a script which is perfect except it has not one joke in it that's an amazing draft <laughs> because jokes are so fun it would take yeah. you a, a half a day to punch your shit out of it yeah. but if it's like oh I don't know if this character would really act this way and then and then you got a bunch of guys in a room and we're writing sensitive dialogue and everybody feels icky and can't make or eye contact even sometimes they'll write a scene that, which has ended two pages ago and they're still writing it it's like what the scene's over, man. Hmm. No one to end the scene. 
That's interesting. And that's I've never you, heard that. And that's yeah. something you learn from. <laughs> no, that's, it, it's great advice. Right. And it rarely comes up. And that's something you, it, it's just experience. Yeah. And that's something like a, a baby writer wouldn't be so attuned to. Because I think, right. I know like when we were to shoot me, which is a very joke-driven show, we were so like, okay, you come. And multicam is hard because every time someone enters, they got a joke. And when they leave, they got a joke. And, and so um, that's where you think the, I mean, it, I mean, that's, you think, what the hard work is, and that's how you can show off, but a lot of time, that's for naught. Hmm. Yeah. How much do you guys tend to break story in the room? How thorough is it? Um, pretty thorough, you know? I mean, we are really... Um, in fact, this year at Marin, we're trying not to break them as thoroughly as possible and really? give the writers more room and um, to explore weird little avenues and stuff, but... Hmm. We definitely break the stories pretty damn well. I mean, we've yeah. never had to re-break a story in production of a show. Right. And if you've ever been on a multicam or anything with a table read, that ha- that's a common occurrence. Yeah. Oh, that seems like a nightmare. So, the, yeah. The whole so, table read multicam situation. Right. Yeah. And um, knock on wood, we've never... We ran a show, Glenn Martin, which yeah. did 40 episodes, never had to re-break a story after the that's table right. read. Yeah, that's great. Um, There's one year at King of the Hill, we... Oh, we very often we broke after the table read, and it's just a nightmare. Yeah, it's just demoralizing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you've you've already put in all of this yeah, work, and to be and for it not to come together. Yeah. Right. Um, when you're on a show, when you're running a show, how do you guys work together? What is your process? Mm. I don't know. Well, <laughs> in terms of breaking, I mean, in terms of well, I mean, who who goes where? Who? I mean, I assume is someone on set, is someone in oh, post. Yeah. Well, on Marin, we have a interesting our process because Mark used to be in the room the whole. He needs to help break, hmm. break and write all the stories because his voice is his show. Yeah. So we break all those thirteen episodes in pre-production, and we write them. and write them all. Yes, everything. Oh, wow. But we write them all. How much of a lead time do you have? Well, we we. <clears throat> You fudge it. <laughs> yeah, well, we work for free a lot. Yeah. Um, so yeah. right now, for the past couple of weeks, we've been uh, having unofficial writer meetings at my house. Sure. And with uh, the whole staff, or just yeah. the yeah, no, the, the oh, whole, wow. it's not such a big staff. It's yeah. Um, and uh, we can break the stories. We got a dry erase board, and we break the stories loosely. We we still have to go in the room and kind of you know, kick the tires on the stories. But we have all the act breaks, we have all the emotion, we know what it's about, blah de blah. Um, and I think last year we moved, before we went to pre-production, we might have had every story broken. No, no. Oh, pretty I close, so. right? I don't think so. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. But, um, but a good deal. crazy. We're pretty, and right now shows are four acts, but um, we always bring three acts and we just randomly throw an act break in. So. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so... Okay, so you're doing all that together. Then once production gears up... We're both on set. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, and, you know, we both look for different... You know, it's so far... At this point, working together so long, we, well, I think we both know what we both like and what we... We're on this... I think we have the same voice. We mm-hmm. have, but in terms of on the set, I think we both kind of do slightly different jobs just because... I don't know why not. You don't want it to... Michael, it's only official. Michael's very good at editing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, so I look, I look more at the cameras. I'm like, could we get the coverage? I want to make sure we have the shots that we need. Because mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time in editing. Yeah, so, and then and, and Siebert actually on set, he's, he's a little more interested. Is the story making sense? Are the actors playing each mo- beat emotion? You know, and each scene is like only a couple motions that you have to hit. So sure. it's okay. But you have to hit it. But there'll be one line of per scene that you're like, yeah, we got to get that. Yeah. So he's good with that. He's good with That's working right. with the actors. And I'll, I usually just stare at the monitors. <laughs> Uh, when you guys started working together, did you find that you brought different things to the table? Or complementary? I think it's a cliche of story and jokes. I think Michael's yeah. extremely lightning fast with jokes. And um, I'm more interested in story, which mm-hmm. is the more boring part. But, and, and, and that's the more important part. And so, yeah, over which the I years, think you only find out later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, over the years, I, I, I used to be, the, I want to be the joke guy. But now, it's, when you now after doing all these years, like, no, the story is the most fucking important. That's the most important part. You change all these jokes, and I, I used to be very precious over each line. I used to felt when really? I pitched a joke, that's the last funny thing I'll ever say. You know, so I, this little joke has to get in. Sometimes we'd argue with each other, and I'd argue, no, we have to do this line, and now it's, it's fine. Okay, we'll think of something else. It's totally fine. That's really funny. That's, that's what. I, 
we briefly worked movies a little bit. We sold two movies, and that's one thing that movie producers are always very impressed with TV writers yeah. because if they don't, if they say they don't like a line or a scene, writers like it's out. Yeah. Movie writer is a little more precious. Yeah, it's like yeah, we don't need to fight over this. So I think exactly. over the years we've developed a lot of trust over. A lot of times, I'll, if I'll even more break the story, and I'll fight for something, and then he'll say he'll give he'll give me an argument for why it should be that way. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. you made a good point. Mm-hmm. So and, and we flip flop a, a lot of times sure. on arguments, and a lot of times we can't remember who's on the side, yeah. what side of the right. <laughs> The next day he'll come back and he's like, I think you made more sense. I'm like, no, I I'm, I'm on your side now. <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, how do you settle those disagreements? How do you figure it? Whoever out? cares more. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's like attrition. Yeah. <laughs> After if, they, if, they, if it goes volleys more than three times and someone says oh fuck it whatever right yeah. you warm me down and sometimes I, so we do, we've done a little horse trading where it's like all right I got you got this one I get the next one and then I think right. we should forget of course <laughs> who's keeping score you yeah. need a writer's assistant and then yeah, it, it, it all will go out the window because someone will have a something that we both love yeah. somebody will attack so we can see that coming uh, and then practically when you guys are writing a script. How do you right. work together? Uh, we have a computer at Michael's house with two monitors. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And I type because he's hunting peck. He's hunting peck. It's always, he's, always, he's always surprised that the S is in the same place. <laughs> it's still there. Yeah, it's always, it's always a surprise. <laughs> so I have to type because, I, because it drives me crazy. And it, lately, like a, a Marin, and I think this is probably everywhere now, they've got these programs, or since it's all goes mm-hmm. through Fox Central, where we can both type... Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's both on the screen. And so he'll primarily do it, but then if I get anal about something, right. but you're in the room together. Oh, yeah. I know some people are like, uh, well, they trade scenes, yeah, yeah, or entire scripts. But then you're then you're writing it twice. Who wants to do that? And also, uh, then you don't get the, the benefit of actually the room experience, which is like you know, if one of us says something funny, well, it's not funny until the other person laughs. Mm-hmm. You know, you only think it's funny. Right. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, I want to talk about some of the other things you guys have worked on. I want to specifically talk about pitching and selling. Oh, you got the wrong guys for that. <laughs> what, well, what has been your experience? You guys must have <clears throat> pitched a bunch of shows. Yeah, we, we had great success early, and then now it's it just that everyone we know, it's just gotten much harder. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, I'm sure we're just like everyone else, and then we see what gets... We can't find a rhyme or reason to what gets bought or... People's experience, well, the people who are great writers who can't sell stuff, and then people who've never written a script in their life will sell something. Uh, how early on were you guys pitching original shows? That's interesting. Like, at the time, this was in the heyday, we were told, don't, you don't want to go out too early with your development. You want to sit on it. You're never worth more than until you open your mouth and prove that you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so we sat on it. And I think we, we didn't go out until sometime in the King of the Hill, so probably five or six years, maybe. Yeah, yeah, we were probably producer supervising producers before. but now it's very common to you've never even written a show you know yeah. pitch an idea we'll buy it so what were the first uh, original pitches you guys took home we had a show it was kind of um, fun it was called Some Genius oh, yeah. and it was kind of based on the idea of um, you know who Marilyn Vosfon is yeah, why do I know that? She's a writer for Parade Magazine. Yes, And that's right. she's got the, an IQ higher than Einstein. Yes. And she's always answering these silly, trivial little questions. And ask Marilyn is her comment. That's right. So we thought of... Um, what a waste of your intellect. <laughs> so, yeah, so we, you know, so that was about a really brilliant guy who always was getting in his own way, was kind of an asshole. Um, and then to... Um, be with his son and his ex-wife in a small town. He winds up writing some shitty column like that. <laughs> so, uh, and what happened with it? Nothing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did it sell under this table, keeping it steady? Yeah, you know, we wrote the oh, script. Yeah. We never, we've never had anything shot. Yeah. What is your pitching style? How is it developed? Oh, what are you guys what are you so comfortable with? <laughs> it used to be you go in with like a, a five to six page document. You kind of you're always told not to pitch the pilot story. Um, <laughs> And you, you describe <clears throat> what your connection is to the material, who these characters are, and then you, you know, it's, it's fairly kind of straightforward. And over the years, it's gotten more and more onerous. Now, well, because then you get a producer, and then you got to come up with seven ideas, and you get da 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 da, and so you'll you have like a fifteen-page document that you'll try to get down to like ten pages, 
Yeah. And then you get in there and, you know, then you're sitting there for 90 minutes, you know, past when you're supposed to go in there. And people are always taking phone calls or they're checking their email. It's and they're, the worst. It really is. And then you got to become a real performer now. you got to really do the song and dance. And, and, and we're not performers. We're writers. So this is the sweatiest half hour that you'll ever watch. <laughs> and it's, it's just, there's no... And, you know, I hate to say it, but watching network TV, there's no great payoff because... The stuff is, I mean, I, I don't know, the last network TV show I was excited to watch, comedy-wise, mm-hmm. and while you're on cable, it's, it's different. I mean, every, you know, it's almost like network TV's given up a little bit. It, does, it feels really cynical. These past couple of years, it feels mm-hmm. like, this is some garbage people will watch. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't. Right. And, and, then, and right. then they don't. Yeah. You know, whereas something that had a voice and was allowed to, I mean, look, Parks and Rec, right? Right. Had a voice and was given an opportunity to find an audience, eventually found a yeah, Cheers, small audience. Yeah, Cheers came in dead last. It's yeah. first year on the air. That's always so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, but this was when you could get away with that. Right. right. There weren't those kind of options. And Seinfeld, the Seinfeld Chronicles didn't do very well right. in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. I think but it, someone yeah. believed in it. Mm. Yeah. Well, some and the shows like Breaking Bad were low-rated for several years. And then, you know, people discovered it on Netflix, and then, you know, last several years of that show, it, it took off. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, but something like Glenn Martin, like, you guys ran this show. Right. Yes, but it was not your creation. No, right. That was another thing we brought in. Okay, so how... how it was created by a guy out? named... Well, I think the idea there, that was Michael Eisner's company. Mm-hmm. Michael Eisner wanted to do a, a you know, a half-hour animated show. Um, so he hired... Um, I think through his president of his production company, this kid Alex Berger, who's a staff writer. He's now doing very well. Yeah, would be staff writer, um, to write this show and about a dentist. And I think this was um, Eisner's idea about a dentist and his family that traveled around the country in a um, RV. And the, the animator they got was this um, really great guy, Eric Fogel, who did Celebrity Deathmatch. It was mm-hmm. that stop motion claymation yeah. style. It looked so good. Yeah. And um, and then that was just a thing where they were looking for showrunners, so we came in, yeah. and got the job. Um, was it run? I mean, I know that stuff is like time consuming, and there's all different production elements involved. But oh, did with you the run it motion? like? A, yeah, did you run it like a typical sitcom writers room? We yeah. ran it. Yeah, and we ran it. I mean, our schedule was the same as a um, a Fox uh, cartoon. Oh, sure. Yeah. So we had actually. We had kind of a live-action staff, which is about eight people. At Fox Cartoons, for some reason, the staffs are 20. Yeah, they're huge. It makes no sense at all. Um, and then, you know, we'd, have, we'd break the stories, have table reads, have a, do the records with the actors, and then, you know, go off to Canada, come back a year later, gotcha. basically. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, you guys had a lot of episodes. <laughs> yeah. We did. Um, yeah, they were... Nick at Night, at the time, wanted to get into shows that... <clears throat> kids could watch with their parents and it was um, it was kind of I'd say this humor was family guy-ish a little less a little less severe than family mm-hmm. guy um, but it was some risque stuff and there was actually a presentation where there's some risque moments in there and um, so we just plunged headfirst into that world and Nick and I executives loved it and they want push for edgier and then so we had this great year writing these stories and producing these stories where you know glenn martin finds out that his uh, you know mom's a swinger and all this stuff so and, ford air it's gonna take yeah time before to yeah it's Absolutely. this beautiful you're a year ahead at yeah least. <laughs> That's right. and then we knew the writing on the wall for that show is when um they go okay so they're gonna start promoting the show mm-hmm. and they go well this is the deal. We're going to promote it during Spongebob. <laughs> and we were like... Big, very big with four-year-olds. And we're <laughs> right. like, I don't know, it's not... I don't know. It's something says, it tells me that's not right. And they go, trust us. We know what we're doing. And we were put on the air. And just, oh, this family councils came after us. And yeah. people... Oh, it was ridiculous because it's the babysitting it's the channel the moms want to put on right you know leave the kid right. alone in the room yeah. but then at eight o'clock they want to become prime time and but, we, we yeah. also just another disastrous thing with that show was um this is a note you i have since realized you get from every executive mm-hmm. which is the show feels quiet and we're like it's okay if the show feels quiet like king of the hill is quiet yeah yeah, 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 yeah i'm sure you know i'm sure you know but the show feels quiet and you know what it just might 
boost things if we put a laugh track on there. And they're like, um, no, 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 no. That, that would be a terrible move. They're like, Flintstones had a laugh track. And they're like, yeah, that was, you know, that was when there was like, yeah, there was 46 states in America. And I remember thinking, yeah, like, well, who's the audience in there? Were we imagining there were animated audience? Like, who's laughing? So we actually had a focus group. It's just awful. So the focus group, you know, the show would test okay without a laugh track. Then they tested with a laugh track and it would test really well. And now, like, the, the, the group is what a group is is it's thirty people in a room. Mm-hmm. So it's a weird thing. So yeah, so you get the first group and they watch it without the laugh track. Yeah, hey, it was pretty funny. The, the, the go, the, this character was a pretty good dad. The mom was a pretty good mom. And then they bring in the second group with the laugh track and. Everyone's laughing their asses off, and not only is the show funnier, he's a better dad, she's a better mom, blah blah blah. But we're like, how can you tell? Like, do we know that they know it's a laugh track, or did, are they hearing and they think it's other people laughing right. in the room? <laughs> and like, oh, well, we don't know that. So that's a huge. <laughs> but but then we they asked they, one of the questions was they say what do you you know did you like the laugh track? The people heard it. Oh no no, I hated the laugh track. <laughs> Yeah, get rid of the laugh. But the show was better. But it always right. tested better. Oh my god! So they put the laugh track. I, I, we were begging, please, let's, let's not do this. But you're, you know, they, we we're looking at the scientific evidence. Yeah, right? It says, we didn't have any power. We, yeah, we didn't have any power. But we we're begging. I remember we kind of relented. They say, oh, it's, it's too late. It's already done. So <laughs> they air the laugh, and of course, all the reviews just tear it apart. Damn, what what fucking century is this with a laugh track? And who's <laughs> supposed to be laughing? And you know, and at that. You know, we were already dead in the water at that point. Sure. But they'd already picked up for a second season by that point. Because you have to. And we yeah. the they removed the laugh track after five or so episodes. But it's in. still really? the laugh track. Yeah. Too right. Oh, that's people make up their mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, what has been your strategy over the years for dealing with execs and taking notes on shows? Um, you just try to be nice and you try to see their site. A lot of times um, they'll have a problem and they might not know exactly what the problem is, but something's striking them in their gut. And a lot of times they'll pitch a solution for that. And a lot of times that solution won't be right. But if you can try to address what that weird feeling is in their gut and come with another way of doing it, um, I mean, they'll definitely appreciate that. You're probably making the show better because if they're not responding to something, something's a little off. And then sometimes if, it, if it's a, like a binary argument and someone's got to be right, someone's got to be wrong, if, if you're going to not do their note, just be as nice as possible and as respectful as possible about it. Yeah, I, like, I don't like getting any kind of notes, but the problem is you, want, you need an ally. On your, unless your show's a giant hit, you need to have a student mm-hmm. as an ally. So you yeah. need to be very polite and respectful. And I remember the IFC uh, uh, executives came to Marin last year, they, a couple days on the set, and they said, you guys, should, you're so wonderful to us, you should teach a class on how to talk to executives. And I guess because they've dealt with so many abusive... Oh, uh, writers, yeah. you know, but so yeah, I, you got to be respectful. It's also, I think, just say at IFC, it's a smaller group of people you're mm-hmm. dealing with. Where it's at a network, <clears throat> you don't know where the note's coming from. You just know that there's multiple levels of people, and the person you are dealing with heard it from you know through a chain of three other executives. And so there, there's not a dialogue. They're just saying it has to be this way. You try to negotiate with that person. That person's not going to tell you they have no power. <laughs> But um, you, you quickly get the drift. Yeah. Has there been a show that you guys have worked on that has felt like home, like it's come easily to you? The, either the voice was... I think all of them. Right. We, we, we had great experience on how to practice and, and surely just shoot, you know. Yeah, but, that, but, what was that? but all our shows, well, except a couple of shows we were not that great. Out of Practice was, uh, was a multi-camera show that we worked for with Joe Keenan and Chris Lloyd ran it, and it was Stocker Channing and Henry Winkler. And Ty Burrell. Oh, Ty Burrell. Yeah. It was on CBS for one season. It was a really good show. Uh, That's where Chris discovered Ty. Yeah, so yeah, it was a really good show. That no one really didn't, didn't really catch on. Mm-hmm. I um, mean, you know, it's one of those things that happens with all these network shows. They go, "Oh, for on now," you know, because it's like it was it was losing like eight percent of the lead in or yeah. whatever it is. And but it had fifteen million viewers, right? But but they were like, "That's but even the percentage of, of uh, lead in it was losing would now be stellar, right?" right? Um, I mean, it seems like at, at IFC, at least, that's something you don't have to worry right. about. They, they kind right. of get behind the shows they get behind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they seem to be behind. That's why I, really, I do like them a lot. That's great. Yeah. That's really nice to hear. Um, 
on a show, again, where, you know, and like you said, there have been a number of them where it does feel like things are good. And is it down to the material? Is it down to the room? Like, what's, what's the happy place for you on a show? What do you mean? What makes a show easy to work on? Or, um, or enjoyable to work on? Personalities. I think a lot of it is also how it's run because if you have a showrunner, no matter how talented, if they're not, if they're not respectful of your time, if you're there till three in the morning every night, or you're just wasting, I, I hate wasting people's time, and I don't like my time to be wasted. I, you know, I'm too you know old to be working around the clock like that. It's hard. I mean, for the most part, I'd say it's always been a joy to go to work. That's you know, it's only one experience that wasn't great. What was that like? Um, <laughs> But um, but usually you know and it, it, I think it comes from the showrunner and the, the it, and if the people you know trust each other and have respect for you know each other and then even if the this shit hits the fan with the story sometimes it can be fun you know mm-hmm. if, if you if, if you really like who you're in the foxhole with and we've been pretty fortunate yeah yeah, that sounds, that sounds yeah. Cool. Um, were there shows or even episodes of shows or or like some aspect that was particularly challenging. To you, does anything stand out as being a tough time that you eventually figured out and learned from? Um, a story that's been challenging, a script or a room or something like that. Um, I remember at your shoot me, uh, there's an idea that George Siegel, uh, one year king with the, I think it's season three, following demands. It will, and he, George Siegel's a great guy, but he was like. Um, Forget, oh, he came because this year I want to rap and I want to have a black son. And um, we're like, well, no, we're talking earlier. We George Siegel had a black son. He was in a movie called Carbon Copy and it was Denzel Washington's first role ever. And it was like, yeah, that's why George wants to do it because he's done it before. And so we came up with this idea. This is when Six Degrees of Separation was a. Um, out about that guy who's going around saying Sidney Poitier's son. So we're like, well, how about if someone's going around saying that he's George Siegel's son and, and or you know Jack Gallo's son, and Jack is pissed about it, and he finds out the guy's black, and what would Jack think about that? And so Jack loved it. Jack thought, loved the balls on this guy to go around and say that. So I think that story was in limbo for two or three years because well, because. When we break it as an A story, people say it's a B story. And when we break it as a B story, people would say it was an A story. There's this, too much story here. Yeah, so it went on and on and on and finally said, fuck it, we'll just do it as a B story. And this, because we really want to do it, but everyone else is wishy-washy. <laughs> so we had a table read. We did it as a B story. No comes down. This is great. should be an A story. <laughs> <laughs> so then we... Immediately yeah. after the table read, ripped it out of the script and wrote another script for, oh, it, for wow. it to be the A story the following week. But yeah, that's really funny. Yeah. Did he get to rap also in a different episode? You know, he, know. not when we were there. But <laughs> they, they went on for three more years. So yeah. I'm he may have gotten to rap. Yeah. In there. Um, I, I think that's all I have for you guys. All right. Is there anything else we should talk about? I think we're good. I have learned a lot. I'll be honest with you. Well, like, well you've had a lot of a. Uh, it's flattering. Hope so. No, this has been really great. I, uh, I'll end as I always do by just asking you guys what you are watching on television these days. Okay, we just finished um, Bloodline. How on, was Bloodline? Netflix. Loved it. I hear it's a slow. Burn. Yeah, but you know what? Okay. After three episodes, okay. you're, you lock in. Um, just the show that uh, I, I watched it a couple <clears throat> years ago, but I still love it so much. And just every. I tell about people every time chance I have this. Uh, what was it? Saxondale? Yeah. Which was um, <clears throat> Steve Coogan. Yeah, and it's not even one of his more famous shows, yeah. but I just love that show. That's a great show. Yeah. And then I was, you know, I know I'm late to this, but like, I'm, after watching Sopranos, I thought, well, this is the best show ever. You, there's really no point to watch any more TV because no one's going to do this <laughs> well. And then I, of course, late through the game, but I watched, you know, I binge watched uh, Breaking Bad. And to me, okay, now that's the best show ever. It, to me, it felt like, it, like I don't know, the hand of God just gave them all these here's a stack of scripts. Here they are. It all works fine. Right. Just shoot it. <laughs> and it's just amazing how I don't know. It, it, like it really every fucking episode just builds and holds together. And it's like it always seems it was all part of this giant master plan that fell into place perfectly. I'm just I'm blown away by by the quality of that show. It's, oh, and I also have to say amazing. Doctor Who. Are you watching the season? Love. Yeah. I quit uh, last year. Oh. 
And I love, uh, what's his name? Uh, yeah, Capaldi. I think he, I, I just watched his other show because of this mm-hmm. in the loop. And he's great, but yeah. oh, I'm sick of uh, my He gave up. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about this offline. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you guys so thank much. Thank you. What a pleasure. Uh, when does Marin come back? Should we plug that? Yeah. Next May. Okay. okay. That's what he said. That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and people can watch the old episodes on Netflix. Netflix. And uh, yeah, season three will probably hit Netflix in late December. Are there episodes that you guys are particularly fond of or proud of that people should check out? No. Well, we, no, you know what? Whenever someone compliments an episode, I always take it as an affront to the other episodes. Okay. <laughs> That's healthy. That's we, very healthy. We yeah. directed one last year, which was uh, which was challenging for both of us, and that was that was fun to do. And so, right. I, I don't know. Maybe check it out. I like that one. Good. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Now leaving Nerdist.com.